But wait, there's more. Hi, everybody. It's Terry O'Reilly here, and we're happy to announce something we've never offered before. It's our But Wait, There's More subscriber package. If you're a fan of Under the Influence, you'll get more than ever before. You'll get more bonus episodes like the live recording and audience Q&A we did recently at the Hot Docs Podcast Festival, exclusive for subscribers only. You'll get more podcasts with additional stories. You'll get early access so you can listen to all of our new shows before anyone else. You'll get all of our episodes, including archives, ad-free. Tisk tisk. I won't judge. You'll be invited to Ask Me Anything sit-down chats with yours truly. You'll get first dibs on tickets for live events. You'll get big discounts on Under the Influence merchandise. And that's only the beginning, all for a few bucks a month. Just go to our show page on Apple Podcasts and tap Try Free to start your free seven-day trial. Membership has its privileges. Hmm, you should copyright that. 
the opening story is the last thing I write. Once the main script has been written, then I stand back and decide what opening story would be most appropriate. The opening story is rarely about marketing, but rather, it's a story that comes from other sources. It might be a story about a movie, or a flower, or courtroom sketch artists, or how world leaders make decisions. But every opening story serves a very important purpose. It sets the table. set a tone. Because whatever that opening story is, it is mirrored in the advertising business. It may seem unrelated at first, but by the end of the episode, you will hopefully have connected the dots. As this is our 15th season, we have created well over 300 episodes. That means we have told over 300 opening stories. Today, I want to feature a handful of those stories. The ones you are about to hear were not only some of the most fun to write, but they generated the most response from listeners. So, grab a coffee, sit back, and let me tell you a story. You're under the influence. If you analyze most ads and commercials, it won't come as a surprise that marketers feature the best aspects of their product. If it's a detergent, they talk about how white it can get your clothes. If it's a car, they advertise how well-appointed the interior is. So, it's always interesting to me when marketers choose to advertise a negative. Like back in the 60s when Volkswagen used to advertise how ugly and underpowered their cars were but that honesty endeared them to the public. We produced an episode titled Lemonade, Marketing a Negative, back in Season 7. The opening story was about how there is often a positive tucked inside a negative. A young man lost his left arm in a devastating car accident. Learning to navigate life without one of his limbs, he tried not to let that fact stop him from pursuing things he was interested in. One of those things was the martial arts. So he walked into a judo school and began taking lessons from a very experienced judo master. The young man actually did quite well despite the loss of his left arm. He made adjustments, held his own with the other students, and learned quickly. Over time, the student asked his teacher, or sensei, as they are called in the martial arts, if he was good enough to enter a judo tournament. His sensei said yes, and spent a lot of time training him. In particular, he focused on teaching him one very specific move. It was an extremely difficult technique, a throw. They practiced it continuously. Finally, the student asked his sensei, Shouldn't I be learning more than one move? The sensei said, This is a very advanced judo technique, and it's the only technique you'll need to know if you're faced with a difficult opponent. So they practiced that one move over and over and over. Then came the day of the judo tournament. 
Much to the student's surprise and delight, he easily won the first two matches. The third match was more difficult, but at one point, his opponent became so frustrated at being held off by a one-armed man that he rushed the student, made a miscalculation, and was easily pinned. With that, the one-armed judoka found himself in the finals. This time, his opponent was bigger, stronger, and much more experienced. For the first few rounds, the student looked like he was vastly overmatched. So much so, in fact, the referee called for a timeout and was considering stopping the fight. But the student sensei intervened, asking the ref to let him continue. A few moments after the match resumed, the bigger opponent made a mistake and dropped his guard. And in that moment, the student finally saw a split-second opportunity to execute the difficult move he had practiced for months. The opponent seemed to fumble in his reaction. The student grabbed him, threw him down, and pinned him for the win. With that, the one-armed judo student shocked the room by winning the tournament. On the way home, he asked his sensei this question. How did I win that tournament by relying only on one main technique? The sensei said, you won for two reasons. First, you mastered one of the most difficult throws in all of judo. Second, the only known defense for that move is for your opponent to grab your left arm. Turning a perceived weakness into a strength in the world of marketing requires a little judo too. The amount of feedback we got from that story was remarkable. It inspired a lot of people. Back in Season 6, we produced an episode about how the advertising industry slowly tackled subjects that were once considered taboo. For example, the marketing of toilet paper was once taboo. And early toilet paper was not very soft, as one of the very first TP ads proclaimed it was now splinter-free. Feminine hygiene was once a taboo advertising subject, as were condoms. Season 6, Episode 16 was titled, Now Splinter-Free, How Marketing Broke Taboos. To set the table in that episode, we told the story of how many things were taboo back in the Victorian era, even expressions of romance. So lovers figured out a special secret code to communicate to each other using bouquets of flowers. There were many taboos back in the Victorian era. You couldn't reference bodily functions. You couldn't show affection in public. Divorce was taboo. Looking pregnant or even using the word pregnant was off-limits. An exposed female ankle was considered scandalous. It's said that even the legs of pianos were covered in homes. As a result, taboos also made it difficult to express your desire for someone. That's where floriography came in. Simply put, floriography was the use of encoded messages through the arrangement of flowers. This secret flower language allowed people to express feelings which otherwise could not be spoken. So, if you were to receive a bouquet of yellow acacia, that meant someone was secretly in love with you. If you were to send that person back a bouquet of majorum, 
that would mean you were blushing. If that person were to then send you a fragrant Spanish jasmine, that meant they were intoxicated with your sensuality. If you were to reply with a larch bouquet, that would mean you find their advances bold. If they sent you back a bunch of linden flowers, that meant they really wanted conjugal love. If you offered a single china aster, it meant you would consider their request. If they responded with a bouquet of red columbines, that meant they were anxious and trembling. But if you sent over a bunch of orange flowers, that meant you decided to go with celibacy. Boo. Floriography also spawned a subgenre of flower dictionaries, allowing people to quickly thumb the pages looking for the real meanings behind bouquets. Much was forbidden in the Victorian era. With so many taboos, the secret language of flowers was one of the only ways to get messages through. Who knew the slogan, Say It With Flowers, had such an interesting history? One of the most difficult categories in the marketing world has to do with intimate bathroom products. In particular, products that help with bodily functions, like diarrhea, constipation, and acid reflux. In Season 8, Episode 14, we produced a show titled Disgustingly Effective, The Marketing of Bodily Functions. To set that delicate table, we went back in time to tell the story of Grooms of the Stool. During the Tudor era, one of the most sought-after positions in the king's court was groom of the stool. It was an unusual occupation. The responsibilities of the groom of the stool were to undress the king, provide water and cotton towels, then stand beside the king as his majesty did his business. While history is a little vague on this point, it appears the groom of the stool's duties also included wiping the royal posterior. If you think this job couldn't get any more disgusting, it was also the groom's task to inspect the king's bowel movements to conduct an ongoing assessment of the king's health. Now, you may be thinking the groom of the stool was named after the king's stools. Not so. The stool part of the job title referred to the king's stool singular, which was a velvet-lined portable potty called a close stool. The groom carried the king's stool around at all times to make sure it was handy should nature call. The first groom of the stool appeared in 1495 during King Henry VII's time. When King Henry VIII sat on the throne... He elevated the status of the job by confiding in the groom and even asking for advice on particularly tricky royal problems. That status made the groom of the stool very powerful in the king's court. He knew the king's private thoughts and many of his secrets. It wasn't long before others around the king realized the groom had a unique access to the monarch. People would pass messages to the groom hoping he would pass them along to the king. The groom of the stool not only became respected, but feared. 
as he could influence the king's opinion. After all, they had a lot of alone time together as the king conducted his royal business. Before long, the groom of the stool became very well paid, received many of the king's expensive clothes as hand-me-downs, and was given special lodging in all the king's castles. Over time, the position became highly sought after, as many men would fall over themselves for the chance to be in charge of the king's stool. If you wanted to make your way up the ladder in the royal kingdom, being groom of the stool was disgustingly effective. So if you ever think your career has hit bottom, just be glad you're not a groom of the stool. And we'll be right back. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. If you're enjoying this episode, why not dip into our archives? Available wherever you download your pods. Go to terryoreilly.ca for a master episode list. There once was a very odd technique used in the world of marketing. It was called industrial musicals. Brands would actually hire the top Broadway composers to create musicals about their companies or products. Then, top Broadway performers would be hired and the show would be extravagantly staged, not for the public, but for the company's sales force. Think of it as a big musical motivation speech, Season 5, Episode 23 was titled, 
when Madison Avenue met Broadway, the industrial musical. The opening story was about how one industrial musical led to one of the most revered novels of all time. There's gonna be a party here tonight The silver's shining and the lights are bright We put away the broom and mop It's time for all of that to stop There's gonna be a party here tonight that ditty is from an elaborate J.C. Penney sales conference in the early 1960s. It's an important little piece of marketing history. Because without that J.C. Penney tune, the iconic novel To Kill a Mockingbird might not exist. Composer Michael Brown met James Cash Penny in the early 50s. James Cash Penny, also known as J.C. Penny, established the J.C. Penny chain in 1902. Penny hired Brown to write industrial musicals for his company beginning in 1952. In the post-war days, corporations like J.C. Penny would stage elaborate musicals to motivate their sales force. These were big song and dance shows penned by the top Broadway composers, performed by top Broadway talent on big stages. They were on par with the biggest Broadway musicals of the day, with one exception. Industrial musicals were written to sing the praises of companies. And that's how Michael Brown came to meet J.C. Penney. Meanwhile, Brown and his wife Joy had met a new neighbor of theirs in New York. She was an aspiring writer from Alabama who worked the ticket counter at Eastern Airlines. Her name was Harper Lee. The Browns liked her a lot. One Christmas, Michael and Joy Brown took some of the money from one of Michael's lucrative J.C. Penney industrial musicals and gave Harper Lee a gift. It was a check worth a year's salary tucked inside a card that said... You are free to take one year off to write whatever you like. With that incredible gift, Harper Lee wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. The movie version of To Kill a Mockingbird is my favorite film of all time. This last opening story was, by far, the one that generated the most feedback over the past 15 years. The subject of the episode was number one brands. We talked about which brands were number one in the car category, the cereal category, the coffee category, and more. And it's often surprising to discover which brands are, in fact, number one. To set the table for that episode, we told the story of Secretariat, the remarkable racehorse who was number one in his field by far. He was born on March 30th, 1970. Time magazine said he had a neck like a buffalo and a back as broad as a sofa. He generated a crackling tension and excitement wherever he went. ESPN ranked him the 35th best athlete of the 20th century. By two years of age, he was a legend. His name was Secretariat. 
by all accounts, there has never been a greater racehorse. He was a specimen. Author Bill Knack, who wrote a book about Secretariat, said that anatomically, he was almost without flaw. His glowing reddish coat looked like it was a half size too small, as all his muscles protruded at every possible opportunity. Owner Penny Chenery said Secretariat knew when he was being admired. The first click of a camera, and his ears would go up. Then he would swell up and literally pose, making the photographers chuckle. Secretariat had a habit of starting a race dead last behind the pack. His groomer said he did that because he liked the feeling of passing all the other horses when he turned on his jets. His trainer was French-Canadian Lucienne Lauren, and the jockey that rode him to greatness was Canadian Ron Turcotte. Secretariat had many great wins in his career, but none grander than winning the Triple Crown in 1973. He had lost the race before the Kentucky Derby, and many journalists felt he had speed but no endurance. He started the Derby dead last, of course, but then switched into Ultra Glide, winning the race by two and a half lengths in record time that still stands today. At the Preakness, Secretariat broke last, but made a startling last-to-first move on the very first turn and maintained that lead to break another track record. But those two feats would pale to what came next. The last race of the Triple Crown was the Belmont Stakes. No horse had won the Triple Crown in 25 years. And you will see, and Secretariat being led, he is number is two, but he goes into the number one post. Secretariat's only rival was a horse called Sham. He, too, was a magnificent animal and had beat Secretariat in the past. Okay, yes, he's in and well, and Sham now going in. He's the outside horse, and we're ready to go for this tremendous Belmont stick. Everybody's in line, and they're off. Looks like the early lead goes to Mike Gallant. Yes, Mike Gallant going for the lead with twice the press on the outside. Secretariat away very well, has good position on the rail, and in fact is now going up with the leader. Secretariat did something out of the gate he almost never did. He broke fast. And now it's Sham. Sham and Secretariat are right together into the first turn. It was becoming a two-horse race, just as everyone has suspected. Secretariat and Sham, neck and neck. Those two together, Sham on the outside. Sham getting ahead in front as they move around the turn with Secretariat second. Then there's a large gap. Make it eight lengths back to Mike Gallant in third and Vice Prince fourth. There was an eight-length gap between the two horses and the rest of the pack. And that would only open up further. They're on the back stretch. It's almost a match race now. Secretariat's on the inside by a head. Sham is on the outside. They've opened ten lengths on Mike Gallant, who is third by a head. Then a fear swept through the crowd. Secretariat and Sham were going too fast for too long. They couldn't keep that pace up. Their hearts would give out. It was just too dangerous. Then Secretariat did the most extraordinary thing. accelerated. He opened a gap between him and Sham that was simply inconceivable. They're on the turn. It's Secretariat is blazing along the first three quarters of a mile in 109 and four fifths. Secretariat is widening now. He is moving like a tremendous machine. You couldn't keep your eyes off the gap. Then Sham began to fall back. 
his heart couldn't sustain that pace. Sam is dropping back. It looks like they'll catch him today as Mike Allen and Bryce Prince are both coming up to him now. That's when Secretariat kicked into another gear. The Secretariat is all alone. He's out there almost a sixteenth of a mile away from the rest of the horses. It was remarkable. Secretariat was a sixteenth of a mile ahead of the other horses coming down the stretch. They're in the stretch. Secretariat has opened a 22-length lead. He is going to be the Triple Crown winner. Here comes Secretariat to the wire. An unbelievable, an amazing performance. He hits the finish 25 lengths in front. Secretariat finished the Belmont Stakes not 25 lengths ahead as the race announcer guessed, but a mind-blowing 31 lengths ahead of the pack. Sham finished dead last, hollowed out by trying to keep up with Secretariat. Secretariat has accomplished the unbelievable task of breaking the mile-and-a-half record by two and three-fifths seconds. That is a record that may stand forever. Secretariat didn't just break the record at Belmont. He ran the fastest one-and-a-half miles in history. Demolished that field and absolutely demolished it. No contest. Listen to the crowd. Listen. He had broken the record at all three Triple Crown races. He was a super horse. Every marketing category is a horse race. A lot of money is wagered and the winnings are big. Except in marketing, the race has no finish line. Hollywood Studios didn't understand the appeal of Harper Lee's 1960 novel To Kill a Mockingbird. It had no love story, no typical showdown between a hero and a bad guy. All the characters were quiet studies. All the action was talk and unspoken subtext. To them, it simply didn't have the essential ingredients of a motion picture. But director Robert Mulligan was a great storyteller. He used low camera angles to tell the story from the children's point of view in the first half of the film. Then, when the kids stand on each other's shoulders to peek into the courtroom, Mulligan transitions perfectly to an adult eyeline in the second half. While I love every frame of that movie, I particularly love the opening titles. We see a child's hands opening a small box filled with crayons, an old pocket watch, a safety pin, a marble, and two small dolls carved out of wood. The child hums and begins to color with a crayon as the title of the film appears through the scribbles. Then, Elmer Bernstein's moving theme music gently wafts in. I have watched the film dozens of times and marvel at how simple yet powerful the opening title sequence is. It not only foreshadows an important moment in the film, but it always has the same effect on me, viewing after viewing. It quietly sets the perfect emotional tone for the story to come. That opening was created by Stephen Frankfurt. He was an advertising creative director in New York. To Kill a Mockingbird has given me many wonderful gifts over the years, and the importance of setting the table was one of the best. To this day, it has kept me under the influence. I'm Terry O'Reilly.
episode was recorded in the TearStream Mobile Recording Studio. Producer Debbie O'Reilly. Sound engineer Keith Oman. Theme music by Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre. If you like this episode, you might also enjoy Coming Soon, The Art of the Movie Trailer, Season 2, Episode 8. You'll find it in our archives wherever you download your podcasts. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Terry O. Influence. See you next week. I once tried an antique roll of toilet paper. It made a on my... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 